Did you hear about the dirty Easter egg hunt? It was hosted by the Dust Bunny. If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, uh, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions. Hey! I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent to Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve! It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal. Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medical practitioner, gives me street cred with the wacko alternative medicine assholes. This is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show <laughs> or a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you have a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcast medical news and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, God. Don't act on anything you hear on the show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. Don't forget stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs. Check out Noom, N-O-O-M, at drsteve.com. If you want to lose weight with me, I'm basically very close to my ideal body weight and have been for the last three years, thanks to Noom. It's not a diet. It's a, um, it's a, what do you call it, a psychology program. Helps you change your relationship with food. Get two weeks off, or, well, two weeks free and 20% off at Noom. .drsteve.com and uh, check out uh, if you have back pain and you ever wanted to try a uh, an inversion table, check out the one that I found at backpain.drsteve.com and this one you got to spell out doctor, D-O-C-T-O-R steve.com Well, don't forget uh, Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net that's simplyherbals.net and um you still going to wrap it up, or are you going to yeah, hang was, in there? I was going to say, get it, get it down before it, get, before it gets gone. Really? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm retired, man. I'm, I'm slowing down. So now what are you going to do? I know we talked about this last week. You know yeah, what? Not no, much. Nobody gives a shit. No, they don't. All right. <laughs> Let's just, uh, okay, last week we did a lot of bullshitting, and we got a bunch of this. bullshitting and get to the questions. God yeah, damn, this okay, okay, okay. I got it. Boring as sex with my wife. Gotcha, gotcha. So we're just going to do a million questions, there. voicemails. Cool. 
Probably a million minus nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-six, but that's all right. We'll get we'll get close. Something like it. All right. So let's. Uh, oh wait. First, we got to get the most important disclaimer. Number one thing: don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. Thank you, Ronnie B. Absolutely true. All right. Hi, Doctor Steve. This is Barry from California. Hey, Barry. Um, I had something interesting happen a few days ago, and I was hoping to get your take on it. Okay. Um, I live in California, so it's a medical marijuana or a recreational uh, state, um, legal state. I've been smoking weed for about five or six years. So uh, my normal use is um, I'll smoke a joint or even do some edibles like in the evening after work, after dinner. Probably about four or five nights a week okay. or on weekends. So I'm a regular consumer of weed and have been for a number of years. So um, I I have had periods of time where I've quit weed for days at a time, like if I'm on a business trip and I'm in a foreign country and I don't have access to weed. Um, I never experienced any kind of withdrawal syndrome or anything, not physically. I never got sick, but there would be times when I'd feel like I really wanted it psychologically when I couldn't get it. So uh, that's the extent of uh, my withdrawal that I've had yeah. uh, for that. But that usually happens if I go without weed for a number of, of days, just a couple days or even one day maybe, I'll feel like I want to smoke some weed. Sure. Um, so I have had a bad back, uh, some back pain for a few years now, and my doctor, after an MRI, decided that it might be related to nerve pain. Um, I'm going to go see a neurosurgeon pretty soon, I think, uh, just to talk to them about it. Um, she prescribed me gabapentin. This was five days ago. Oh, I bet I know where this I've is going. I've never taken <clears throat> gabapentin before. So I took 300 milligrams at night. Uh, that's what she said, just that. And after the first time I took it, the next day, I didn't want to smoke weed anymore. I yep. really lost my taste completely. Give yourself a bill. Um, I have some right there. I can see it. It's sitting right there. I don't want to smoke it. And that was five days ago. And I have not consumed any weed at all um, in five days. And I've been taking 300 milligrams of gabapentin each night. And that's when it started. It actually... Weed actually seems kind of distasteful to me now. And Interesting. It's kind of hard to explain. How sad. I don't it is. <laughs> really want it anymore. Uh, is this because not... of the gabapentin? It can't just be yep. a coincidence. Give yourself Thanks, a bill. Yeah. So I let that go. It was a pretty long phone call, but it's pretty interesting. So we got a guy that is a regular, habitual user of marijuana. When he doesn't use it, he wants it. Uh, not a real physical withdrawal, but he feels that he wants it, right. craving it um, would More be another word for it. Probably, yeah. yeah well, yeah. whatever. I mean, craving. I mean, it's all everything's Related. in your head, right? Sure. Well, it gets it. Uh, and then he took gabapentin. Now he didn't give two shits about it. So I did some research on this, and um, gabapentin is an interesting drug. It's uh, prescribed as an anticonvulsant, or it was, but I, I have to be honest with you, if um, you know anybody that has been prescribed gabapentin for seizures then you know if you know one person that's that you know one more than i know yeah no zero because we've used it for neuropathic pain for right. quite some time and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it does um 
act, it resembles this neurotransmitter called gamma-aminobutyric acid, or GABA. And what that does is it regulates uh, the excitability of the neurons in the central nervous system. And uh, cannabis withdrawal, and when I say withdrawal, I mean not taking it. I'm not talking about going through like cold turkey like you do with uh, heroin or something. But when you withdraw it, you get an overactivation of these same stress circuits that are, and it's actually similar to alcohol withdrawal, even though the effects are completely different. Sure. So um, this has been tested. And that's why I gave him the uh, Opie Bell several times because. Uh, they uh, there was a study in 2008 where they recruited 50 pot users, and these were people who actually wanted to quit smoking but were having trouble because they wanted it. And uh, they gave them 1,200 milligrams a day of gabapentin, which is a moderate amount. The max dose is around 3,600. 36, so, yeah. uh, in a normal person with normal kidneys, so this would have been one third of the maximum dose. And then the other 25 took a placebo. Excellent. I'll give them this. Give yourself a bill. And they monitored them over 12 weeks. Now, uh, this um, showed that the gabapentin subjects had a much higher success of staying off the pot. So it, it seemed to block that craving impulse that was in the brain. It reduced uh, it sleep disturbance, drug cravings, uh, unhappiness, and uh, and some even showed some evidence of improved cognition. Meaning that they really, I mean, that the way they test that is to have you uh, uh, remember groups of numbers and then recite them backward and stuff like that. So it's really interesting. There are these self-control-related circuits, and they can be weakened. Mine are weakened when it comes to uh, things like um, uh, peanut butter on uh, on um, rice cakes, which sounds like it shouldn't be a big deal, except when you eat like a whole pack of them, then it is a big deal, and you can't stop. So I have weakened self-control circuits when it comes to things like that because I've been on this diet you know this lifestyle for so long that every once in a while i crave something else so i just don't buy that stuff but if i have it i'll by god go for it and uh it's the same thing with pot that's why cigarettes are such a difficult addiction to beat because it's so readily available Mm -hmm. you know even drugs some drugstores sell them not all Mm -hmm. you know some of the chains have said we're not going to sell tobacco anymore yeah, that's why, well, well, I don't want to talk politics, but that's why Al Gore lost the presidency, by the way. <laughs> he, he, didn't, didn't, he didn't smoke pot? No. <laughs> well, yeah, the whole, oh, I tried it, but I didn't inhale. That was his boss. Well, yes, I remember. But, um, no, Al came here to Tennessee and uh, told, you know, had a rally and told the tobacco farmers, don't worry about it, I got your back. Mm-hmm. And then went to the convention, or not the convention, yeah, the convention. The national convention. The national convention was like, we have tobacco's bad. we got to get rid of tobacco. And um, and the, the tobacco farmers in Tennessee went, what the hell? Yeah. And they, you know, they mounted a pretty massive campaign against him, and he didn't win his own home state. Of course, Al really never was from Tennessee. He's no. from Washington, D.C., but anyway. No. So, uh, yeah, I've... You know, I, I told people at the time, if Gore had just won his home state, he would have won because that's, that's how close it was. Hanging Chads? Yeah, we went to Hanging Chads in Florida because no- <laughs> he didn't win his <laughs> right. home state. Yeah. That, that should tell you something. Yeah, I guess.
I don't know. That was a long time ago, so I don't, I don't figure too many people get mad about what I'm saying at this point. But no. Um, so uh, they're doing larger studies to confirm gabapentin in helping people uh, quit who want to quit cannabis, quit it. But uh, this guy points out a phenomenon that is known in the medical literature that gabapentin has some effect on the uh, craving of uh, cannabis. Interesting. So, very interesting. Yeah, because yeah. we you, you, we do see people on, on gabapentin every single day, all day long sure. for, for nerve pain to, to varying yep. degrees of success. But, you know, just out of curiosity, and, and I'm going to look it up here in a minute, just I wonder if they've ever done any kind of um, um, kind of research on it, gabapentin and alcohol uh, withdrawal, you know, trying to get someone who's a profound alcoholic, maybe coming up with other solutions to incorporate with the alcohol. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up while you're... Um, yeah, no, I'm looking it up oh, right cool. now. Because, um, you know, alcohol addiction is profoundly difficult to treat. Gabapentin has been... Looks like it has been studied. Let me see if I can find this. Um, so I, I'm just... This is just some RIA Health website yeah, sure. that's pushing it. Uh, I'm just looking... Okay, here we go. One study compared gabapentin to placebo. Patients who received placebo had an abstinence rate of... Uh, 4% compared to 17% that took the 1,800 milligrams of gabapentin. So the the uh, efficacy was still pretty low, mm-hmm. but there were three to four times, most four times more people quit alcohol taking gabapentin than took the um, placebo. Wow. Now, I don't know how powered this study was and all that. So, okay, here's a 2007 study found that compared to placebo group, those who took gabapentin significantly reduced their heavy drinking and number of drinks per day. They also increased the number of alcohol-free days. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It says people who hadn't reduced drinking while taking naltrexone. So naltrexone right. is an interesting drug. It's a, a mu opioid receptor blocker, but it also helps. Because we, have indu- we have those receptors, okay? Mu opioids are like morphine. Uh, Delauda, which is you know on the street, hydro, aka hydromorphone. Um, those things are mu opioid receptor agonists. In other words, they stimulate the mu opioid receptor. So morphine, uh, I get hydrocodone, hydrocodone Delauda, Lortabs, uh, fentanyl, yeah, fentanyl. Percocet, percocet does, but also percocets do the kappa receptor as well, oh, and then methadone does the mu and delta receptors primarily, and uh, so that they have slightly different effects. But anyway, uh, naltrexone is a mu opioid receptor blocker. You say, well, op- alcohol doesn't stimulate the mu opioid receptor, so why would that work? Well, because why do we have mu opioid receptors? It's not in case we take a Percocet. Mm-hmm. It's because we make our own endogenous, in other words, inside, inside. our body, um, uh, opioids ourselves. Right. Okay? And so when we make endogenous opioids, they bind to those receptors. Mm-hmm. And uh, those receptors are in deep in the brain in the pleasure center. Sure. And so alcohol likely stimulates some endogenous opioids that stimulate the pleasure centers and when you block that you don't get that pleasurable feeling when you drink and you will have less of a craving for alcohol Mm. that's the hypothesis and it does seem to work so what they're saying is is that people who didn't do very well with naltrexone may respond better to gabapentin so there you go cool something to know yep okay so it's not commonly used but addictionologists may be using it right all right, anything else on that? 
Hey, Dr. Steve. How are you doing? Good. How are you? This is Lisa. Hey, Lisa. You Lisa. from Georgia. Woohoo! Yay. Does doctor refusing TAVR have to do with an MMSE of less than 12? Okay. Wow. This is a really <laughs> packed question. Or that does TAVR make cognitive impairment worse? Thanks, Dr. Steve. Hmm. Hope it's an interesting question you can do on the podcast. Bye. Yeah, so um, so let's talk about TAVR first. So TAVR is a transaortic valve um, replacement or transcatheter aortic valve replacement. It's a less invasive way to replace a, an aortic valve when people have what we call aortic stenosis. So this would be uh, people who have um, a valve that's too narrow and they're not able to pump enough blood out of their uh, of their heart or it is being pumped out under high pressure. So um, now, they, so what they're saying, what she was saying is that this person had an MMSE of less than 12, and that's a mini mental status exam. That's a sign of pretty severe d- dementia because the, you and I would score a, 30 mm-hmm. on that. And that's if you can do serial sevens. Can you do serial sevens, Dr. Scott? What's 100 minus 7? Mm-hmm. 93. What's 93 minus 7? Yeah, 86. Ooh, 86 minus 7. Mm, 79. There you go. So very good. All right. We'll give give you. yourself a bill. Serial sevens are hard. They are, se- yeah. And um, they pick that for a reason. Sure, now sure. you can do serial threes, but those are much easier. But um, so the mini mental status exam looks at things like: Can you draw two intersecting pentagons? Can you read a sentence and follow? Do what it says, and it's just basically it says close your eyes. Can can you write a sentence with the punct- correct punctuation? And can you memorize three objects? So this is one of the things that they'll do, Doctor Scott. I'm going to tell you three objects. You repeat them back to me. Okay. Able. No, shit. Let's see, I already flunked. A- <laughs> apple, table, penny. Okay. Say I'm back. Oh, apple, table, penny. Okay, now spell world. W-O-R-L-D. Now spell it backwards. D-L-R-O-W. Good. Very good. All right. Give you one of those. Give yourself a bill. Now, what were those three objects I told you to remember? Apple, table, penny. There you go. See, so you are you would pass that part of the mini mental status. <laughs> that might be the only part. But there are a lot of people who have short-term memory stuff. As soon as you distract them, that's what that spelling world backward really is for, sure. is to distract. I mean, you get points for it, too, but uh, it distracts you from... Uh, that short-term memory register, and if you have bad short-term memory loss, you won't be able to to bring those up. And then I'll ask you, what's this thing on my wrist? Right on. What is that? Wrist watch. Okay, so it's not. If you answered, it is a thing that tells time. Yeah. That's a sign of a, a disorder called anomia, where you lose the ability to name things. I had a professor in medical school who had a, um, and I've talked about him on this show before who had an IQ of at least 220. I mean, the smartest person I've ever met. Jeez. And when he got a, some dementia, he would describe a deck of cards. He couldn't come up with the word deck of cards, but he would say a concentric stack of thin laminates. <laughs> now, that is a damn genius with stage one de- dementia. Oh my you know? Gosh. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. 
God. That is a concentric stack of thin laminates. <laughs> pretty fascinating. So that is anyway. pretty wild. So anyway, well. so this person has an MMSE of 12, which means that they got a lot of stuff wrong on that. Right on. And then they're asking, why would the docs um, uh, decline to do sir, this TV, TAVR on that person? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, baseline depression is linked to poor outcomes. Sure. Um, but when it comes to um, dementia, let me see, uh, I, I had a, an article here. Let me see. Okay. Uh, dementia in TAVR patients raises several risks, but not mortality. So um, among patients undergoing transcatheter aortic valve replacement, a history of dementia is associated with higher rates of in-hospital delirium, mm-hmm. which I, I can attest to this. People, There are seven stages of dementia according to the FAST scale. And it starts with just having a little bit of trouble organizing things all the way to being curled up in a ball just going la 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 all day and uh, with that being stage seven you can bring some people in with stage one or two dementia do a procedure on them and stress their body get those stress hormones going and it kicks their brain into stage seven Mm -hmm. and some of them come back and some of them don't yeah and dr steve doesn't that have something to do with the uh with the um, anesthesia when they I've seen it even when they do spinal anesthesia for like uh, hip fractures and okay. stuff like that. Okay, not necessarily just a general. But so, but you know, they do use some other sedating medications though, so it could be that. Um, so they have longer hospital stays and greater chance of discharge to a rehab facility. And this was a nationwide cohort study uh, that compared three thousand pairs of TAVR patients with and without baseline dementia. Was done a research at the Cleveland researchers at the Cleveland Clinic, so it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good one. There's really a dearth of data on TAVR and dementia, and if you have severe symptomatic aortic stenosis in people old, older than I am, um, uh, there just isn't a whole lot of uh, data on people with dementia whether it does them any good or not but if they have severe symptomatic aortic stenosis so what would your symptoms be you'd have congestive heart failure is one Mm -hmm. fainting is another one Mm -hmm. chest pain is another one those that's sort of the triad of severe stenosis of the aorta that says uh these people have a one-year mortality that's significant yes and uh so in this case if the patient is really not functional at all, they the surgeons may have just said, look, they're not functional enough for them to realize an improvement of from this surgery. Right I would want to know how symptomatic they were. Are they symptomatic at rest? Mm-hmm. Are they able to get up and do stuff on their own? Because when you've got a mental, mental status exam that's that low... Mm-hmm. Um, they might not be doing much of they anything. They might not be doing much of anything. And so the surgeon may have felt there was the risk outweighed any possible benefit they could have had. Right. But there's not a hard and and fast rule on that. Right. So uh, these authors of this study said that they encourage incorporation of cognitive function the standardized workup for patients considering TAVR. And society guidelines recommend factoring in cognitive status. Standardized score threshold has not been established yeah. and would require more study. So that was just the um, 
the um, surgeon themselves just saying, hey, I'm doing an overall risk analysis, and I don't think this patient's going to benefit from this, which is good. They're not knife happy. Yeah, yeah. But it's relatively safe in patients with dementia uh, in general. It's just there are some risks. All right. Hey, Dr. Steve. How you doing? Hey, I'm a good man. How are you? Good. Hey, I have a question about herpes. I um, I found out from my ex-girlfriend of about a year via email uh, that she had herpes the whole time we were together. Okay. Yay. Um, great news, I know. Give uh, yourself a No, the wrong one. Oh, well, never mind. Of the virus, especially in someone that is not showing symptoms. And I know there's HSV-1 and HSV-2, and they yes. live on different parts of the body, but... Um, I ordered an IgG test to see, you know, if I have either of those, but it won't tell me where the virus lives. That's right. I'm just kind of curious what the prevalence of those strains are out in the population. Appreciate the show. Thanks for the answers as always. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, Herpes simplex is common in the United States, so let's just talk about genital herpes. We could talk about the differentiation between herpes 1 and 2. We haven't done that in a while. Uh, The CDC estimated there were 572,000 new genital herpes infections in the United States in a single year. So 12% of people between the age of 14 to 50, 14 to 49, have HSV2 infection. And the prevalence is higher. It's really higher than that because an increasing number of uh, genital herpes infections are caused by herpes simplex 1. So uh, people usually get HSV1, that's the oral herpes, uh, in childhood, and then you go blow somebody, and then you impart HSV1 to their genitals, and then they have sex with somebody else, and they impart uh, genital-to-genital HSV1 sometimes. Hmm. Okay. Herpes simplex 2 infections, weirdly, more common among women than among men. And the percentage of those infected during 2015-2016 uh, uh, were 16% of women versus 8% of men among 14 to 49-year-olds. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. And they think it's because genital infection is more easily transmitted from men to women than from women to men during penile vaginal sex. So. Okay. Um, so if you have just sex with random people, then you have, uh, between the age of, let's say 18 to 49, uh, the, uh, the odds are, you know, 12% that you'll be exposed to herpes. That doesn't mean that you'll get herpes no. 12% of the time. Now, if you're in a couple, there was a study done just called Reducing the Transmission of Genital Herpes. And uh, they had monogamous HSV2 discordant couples. In other words, one person had HSV2 and the other one didn't. 5% over an eight-month period, uh, the transmission was very low. And now the reason for that low transmission rate, again, was they recruited women as the infected partners partners in 67% of the couples because usually it's the woman that's infected. Right. And it is it is harder for the woman to give it to a guy than for the guy to give it to a woman. So, uh, yeah, now getting your IgG won't tell you when you got it, who you got it from, or where it lives. 
IgG is just an antibody that shows a mature infection that you're producing antibodies, which means you are exposed to that antigen. You can do a herpes simplex 1 and 2 serologic test and see if you've ever been exposed to either one of those. If you have antibodies to them, you've been exposed. doesn't mean you have outbreaks. And, um, you know, there are lots of ways that people can reduce the risk of transmitting it from one person to the other. One uh, one thing that you can do is uh, using valacyclovir. And valacyclovir is um, a, uh, a herpes-specific drug that will reduce the duration of a herpes outbreak if you get it, but it will also help to prevent outbreaks if you take it every day. Some people recommend lysine. I still haven't seen a double-blind placebo-controlled study that shows that lysine has any makes any difference, but I hear about it a lot, sure. that people who had frequent outbreaks who take lysine every day uh, have fewer outbreaks. Now, the, the, the hypothesis on the mechanism of that makes sense. Just because it makes sense doesn't make it true. Right. But uh, herpes when it assembles itself, has to assemble its coat out of arginine. So it, its, its coat is polyarginine. Arginine is an amino acid, and it links all these things together to make its coat. And lysine will compete with arginine at the um, level of the enzyme that builds the coat. Yeah. And so if you have a lot of lysine and it, the balance is more lysine than arginine, the hypothesis is it's hard for the herpes virus to make its coat, so it just gives up and says, oh, fuck it. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah. Can't do it. Now, let's talk a little bit about HSV-1 and HSV-2. Um, these things show atrophism, which means they like to live in certain parts of the body. So HSV-2 loves to live in the genitalia. HSV-1 loves to live in the in the oral cavity. Why? I don't know. They're, they're just different. I mean, different why is your the tip of your dick different than your ear? They just are. I mean, they differentiated when you're an embryo, yeah. and so they're just, they're different. Yeah. And um, there are different proteins and different s- signaling mechanisms and those things. And so the herpes virus loves to live down there. It, it can attach there easier. But it can live in the mouth. Right. Likewise, HSV-1 loves to live in the mouth but it can live in your on your genitalia or more specifically the nerve endings or the nerve ganglia that feed the genitalia that's where it loves to live so uh but when you there they live there uncomfortably mm-hmm. so if you have herpes simplex 1 on your genitals, you're more likely to have a less severe outbreak and less frequent outbreak. And you may even get to the point where you don't have outbreaks at all. Likewise, okay. if you have HSV-2 in the mouth. Okay. Um, and But people think, well, HSV-1, that's the oral one. That's the quote-unquote good one. <laughs> and it's not the good one because when you have herpes encephalitis, which is an in, herpes infection of the brain that can cause delirium and even death that's almost always herpes simplex one and that's almost always because of its proximity to the brain right you know so hsv1 isn't the good one no it's the goofus and the goofus and gallant relationship between hsv1 and hsv2 Mm. for those of you highlights uh readers from the past Mm. they even have that anymore I i don't think so 
Let's look up Goofus and Gallant. Because I, re <laughs> I would remember I would always read Goofus and Gallant. That's got to be old. It is old, but I wonder if they still <laughs> do it, though. Okay, here's uh, 12 times Goofus from Goofus and Gallant was the absolute worst. There you go. So someone has actually done a web page. You think Goofus would have developed some manners by now. And uh, let's see. So Gallant says, I wish I had a little... I, I, no, I'm glad I have a little brother. But Goofus says, I wish I didn't have a brother. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Let me see. That's not that's not that good. Mm. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, you can tell from the mother that she's just totally fed up with Goofus. Because he says, let me see it. Oh, how evil. They They have... Um, a bunch of what looks like just playing cards on a mat and Goofus because he's an anarchist just says let me see it but mom wants to control these kids okay. and she's a control freak she's a totalitarian and she ha has a big smile on her face when Gallant says may I see it please oh. hmm. so this is a, it's a control it's issue scandalous yeah, um, let me see. Oh, Goofus uses his book with dirty hands. Ooh. But Gallant has clean hands when using a book. You don't use a book, you read a book. But anyway, his hand, he's holding his hand up, and it's the light is shining off of it. Okay, let's see. Uh-oh. Um, Okay, this one. Here's a woman that looks horrified because Goofus says, My, you have nice things in your purse. Okay. But Gallant says, Here's your purse, Mrs. Green. What a little shit. I always hated Gallant. Now I know why. Okay, let's see. Um, All right, we better get back to the questions. What was the question? Wait. <laughs> the, about herpes. What, am sure. I boring you? <laughs> no, maybe everybody else. Okay, well, okay. <laughs> Gallant and Goofus. You could, you could look those up if you'd like. Squirrels are scared squirrel. of Goofus. That's, uh, so he's bad because squirrel. Uh, have you ever had a squirrel that wasn't scared of you that no. didn't have rabies? No. Squirrels eat from Gallant's hand and then bite him and give him rabies. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, this is all about control. Yep. Yep. I, Goofus grew up liking Rage Against the Machine, and F you, I won't do what you tell me. That was Goofus. Oh, my And goodness. you know what? That's way cooler than that guy who told you if you go to San Francisco, you should wear flowers in your hair. Which oh. Who would you rather hang out with? The flowers in the hair, man. Are you serious? Oh, for sure, yeah. No. You're a... You're, you're silly. All right. Back to herpes. Okay, so, yeah, back to herpes. I bet Gallant has herpes. I bet Gallant has herpes, He's too. got, he has. Not the good herpes, either. No, he has. He, he has, has a bad herpes. Yeah, he's got the bad kind. <laughs> um, so, but but Goofus is making fun of him. That's oh, what yes. it is. He's like, ha, ha, you have herpes. Ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Don't make fun of my ailment. Goofus, says Gallant. All right. Um, yeah, so herpes. Um, well, I don't even remember what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> I think we were done with that, actually. Were we yeah, not? I think, I, I, I think so. I think we've answered the, the difference between okay. the herpes. And there you go. Yep. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Matt yep. in Charleston. Hey, how Matt. Are you? Good, man. How are you? That's good. Good. I'm doing great. Cool, hey, man. Uh, 
Fumio was on Rogan last week, and he mentioned that he is moving to South Carolina. Yep. And I remember that you also mentioned you are moving to South Carolina. Yeah, completely independent thinking. <laughs> not great minds thinking alike. No, it is great minds thinking alike, <laughs> but it's totally, that's what it is. It's not one of us no. said, oh, I'm moving to South Carolina, and the other one said, we're moving to South Carolina. No. Not that I would influence um, Sir Anthony or Professor Anthony in such a way. But, yeah, no, we're both moving to South Kakalaki eventually. Sometime in the future. Yep. Does that mean that you guys will be doing some sort of collabo, more so <laughs> radio-type thing? Right. Cool. Not really a medical question, but just curious. Thanks. Yeah, where he's going to be living will just be not that far from me because we'll be in the same state. I mean, it's a big state, but I I think I know where he's going to end up or in the general vicinity. And where I'm going to be living will be about an hour, hour and a half away if I'm right. So, um, I uh, yeah, I mean, that we've talked about it. We've talked about it doing it now but you know i'm with the laugh button all that stuff but when i do dr steve unbound whenever that is when these freaking gloves come off because i'm employed (laughs) and i actually care what people think about me uh when i when i no longer care i've got some shit to say (laughs) and i will by god say it so yeah i'm looking forward to uh either weird medicine unbound or dr steve unbound or whatever and uh, doing it at, at wherever I'm doing it. If it happens to be with my old buddy Anthony, then that would be awesome. But I'm still friends with everybody. I'm the, I think I'm the only person left that's still friends with everybody up there. At least I think I am. Anyway, I, I hope I am. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> so, yes, it's something to look forward to by, for me. Maybe not you all, but for me. This is, this is one for you, Dr. Scott. Hello, Dr. Steve. I hope you're well. Thank you. I miss Tacey. Yeah, we do too. Scott, got a two-part question for you. Mm -hmm. What does modern medical science have down pat? Absolutely solid. If it happens. Who's pat? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Know exactly what to do. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And what is still a huge mystery to modern medical science that we just, or that you all just, still baffles everything? And it- well, it's interesting that he's asking you this. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's a, I think that's good because you're looking from the outside. You see the things that we can't. I have some answers for this. Yeah. But you see the stuff that we can't do because that's when they come to you is because we failed. Right it's on. just a shot in the dark. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, Tacey. Uh, thank you, Stacy Deloach. No, I think it's a great question. KK four WZI. I think modern medicine does a lot of things extremely well. Uh, for instance, if someone has a, a bacterial infection and you can identify that and give them a specific antibiotic for it, then I think it's wonderful. Um, but let's talk about pain just specifically. Pain is something that I think modern medicine does extremely well, but I also think it fails miserably at um, it. it you know, same time, similar cases for different people because everybody is so uniquely different. Yep. You know, there's a lot of times, Dr. Steve, you know as well as I do, a pain medicine used appropriately yep. is an incredible thing. And a pain medicine used inappropriately is a horrible thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's um, worse than doing nothing. It's, it's worse than doing nothing. It, I agree. It, it certainly is. Or can be. Yes, sir. And I, th- and I think interventional pain medicine works extremely well. Doing doing proper shots 
in the yep. right spot for the right people, but not because you're doing it because you're trying to, you know, upcharge someone. I think is <laughs> no, my buddy Paul has done three or four epidural steroid injections mm-hmm. on me, and they've worked every single time. Yeah, yeah, and it's very targeted. It, it works extremely well. By and, the way, check out backpain.drsteve.com. you got to spell it all out. But um, but I can make this For real- my most recent uh, foray into a non-pharmacologic yeah. pain thing for my back. But go ahead. Yeah, and, you're, and you are doing doing better with that. Mm-hmm. With, I am way better. With your, with your, um, your in, inversion table. You know, but I'll make it really simple for yep. you. Um, Western medicine um, treats things that I can identify specifically extremely well. And, you know, Chinese medicine, what I do, um, treats things that are not identified well. By Western medicine. By, by Western medicine. Yeah, you always have a yeah. diagnosis, even if we can't come up with one. Yeah, so in other Even words, if we would look at it and go, what the F yeah. is he talking about? The third pulse. Yeah, the, but you know, somebody, somebody comes in with, with a bad stomach and they yep. give you, you give them something, but you can't identify exactly what it is. Yep. Um, you may not, and I'm not saying you, Dr. Steve, I'm no, not no, saying no. the clo- yeah, colloquial term. Um, it may not treat so well, but you might send to me and say, hey, man, listen, we don't know exactly what's going on. Sure. You have a shot at it. So, yeah, I think Western medicine. Well, that's how you and I got together. Together in the first place, yeah. yeah. So I think Western medicine has like a lot of terrific advantages as long as they can t- can can um, can um, identify specifically. And that's yeah. one. And that's one thing I really hate about what you do um, is your hands are tied by um, insurance companies and by 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 bosses, employers. Yeah. And you know a lot of things you could tell somebody to do that sometimes you can't let you can't tell them to do because of your <laughs> restrictions. Well, so Doctor Steve unhinged. Maybe a whole oh, different doctor. Steve, I'd still get sued. <laughs> <laughs> I would not give medical advice, you know, per se, without right. a disclaimer. Of course, on of a, course, of course, on a thing. I, it, but um, there are things that I can't, like I can't prescribe marijuana mm-hmm. in the state that we live in, right? For a hospice patient, even, right? And I know that it would make them better. Yes. Now I can say. I think it would make you better, but don't tell anybody that I said that. <laughs> right. But that's it didn't bullshit. Come from me, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's rough. It's rough to, to – so there are things. You know, Alan Watts said there's experiences you can never have. I can never touch the tip of my index finger of my right hand with the index finger of my right hand. That's not an experience I can ever have. Mm-hmm. And so there are things that I can't – it's a bad analogy, but it's just a cool thing that he said – that I can't um, ever do for my patients mm-hmm. – because either I'm not smart enough or we just don't know enough or I'm constrained either by my corporate mm-hmm. sure. uh, uh, con- construct or by the law. Right, right. So and it might, those may be things that benefit people. Now, when I would when Dr. Scott and I worked in the same office, who do you remember how that happened? How did? Yes, I do. You do. OK. Yeah. How did we get together? Real quick. There was a physician recruiter. At, at 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 our hospital uh-huh. that said hey there's a you know great little spot down in this little country town and uh, there's a couple of doctors down there i think you would fit right in with and and we've got an open open do you remember that space. person's name i do rambo well, oh okay yeah yeah you know like the rambo guy like that yeah 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 <laughs> Shoot him up yeah this guy. person's name actually was rambo i thought that's what it, well, i was going to yeah. ask you if it was that person yeah. but anyway um yeah so scott I would send him all the people that I would do all the work up, and they still felt like crap. Mm. And people want to be recognized. And when I say recognized, just like, hey, Bob, not that, but they want to be seen. That's mm. probably a better term. Okay. And they want their problems to be recognized. Mm. And they would like a name 
to put yes. it, we like to put names to things. So look at the sky. We've named every damn thing we can see in the sky. Every star. Right? right. It's, it's something yes, that humans true. do. That's true. It's we're we have to do that. We have to name everything, and people want their ailments named. And if I don't have a name for it, um. Or if they, if I do have a name, but they find out it's just a description of their symptoms, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, episodic abdominal pain, you know, <laughs> syndrome or something. You know, yeah. I can't think of a better example than that. But, you know, where it's just a, a description of the symptoms. It's not a name. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we don't have a complete understanding of it. It frustrates my patients and with for good reason. And I would send them to Scott and he would check their 12 different pulses or whatever and then and their humors and their chi or whatever mm-hmm. but he would have a name for what they had and we didn't have a name for right. it i can't right. we should probably come up with some examples of things like that but um and and they would come back to me and they would feel better i'd already ruled out the stuff that could kill them yes and that's why i'd send them to you yeah, yeah, and yeah. likewise, if Scott had somebody complaining of chest uh, pain, chest pain hey, once <laughs> you have looked at right. this, yeah, yeah. which was great. So we were truly complimentary in that mm-hmm. regard, and that—that's my. Go- I'm totally fine with complimentary medicine. It's not really alternative medicine. I don't like that term as much, mm-hmm. but we complimented each other because the things I was good at and him not so much like pronouncing things like islet cells and stuff like that. And then, uh, and the things that I was no good at, he excelled in. Mm-hmm. And um, he could name these things that people had that we didn't have a name for, but traditional Chinese medicine did have a name for it. And uh, he had treatments that he could do with them. And a lot of them, I believe, had a lot to do with distracting the central nervous system from using smaller pain to distract the central nervous system from larger pain, yes. inducing those endorphins, those uh, the opioid, endogenous yeah. opioids that we mentioned yeah. earlier, yep. and also just deep relaxation. Because when you go to Dr. Scott, of course, he has that deep, soothing voice, and it's, mm-hmm. he's real quiet. And, uh, you know, he turn, he does his thing and then turns out the lights and puts on the spa music. Yep. And then you lay in there for 20 minutes and you attain a kind of an outworldly um, uh, state of deep relaxation, which is good for anybody, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. So Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's but anyway, great. so it's not bullshit. It, he, he absolutely helps people. I still send people to him to this day. Oh, so. yes, you too. So anyway. Good, right. good question, our studies. Yep. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Mike from New York. Hey, Mike. I'm doing well. Hope you are. Yeah, too. absolutely. So, Thanks, Casey, man. hi. Okay, will do. Uh, I was wondering, now if an individual has both their legs amputated, you have all that circulatory system, the veins, arteries, capillaries going down, uh, what happens with those? Do they dry up and wither away or after the wound is cauterized, mm-hmm. are they just filled with a liquid forever? Uh, what's the deal with that? Also, yeah. um, the heart, now it doesn't have to work so hard because it doesn't have to pump blood all the way down to the feet and everything. Um, does it help give you more meaty to mess in erections because it has a, you know, a better, um, smaller go. system to pump this blood into? Or does the heart just get lazy and say, yep. I'm not going to do so much work? 
thank you very much. Hey, thank Have you. Great uh, those are both great questions. Let me answer the second. Hey, Dr. Oh, Steve. Oh, oh what's going on? What the hell? He, I'm doing well. Hope no. you are too. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay, okay we got it. <laughs> um, let me answer the second one first. When I moved to North Kakalaki from Michigan, I was a kid. Uh, I was used to playing outside all winter long, doing my paper route and all that stuff, 10 below, no big deal in the middle of winter. Mm -hmm. Came down to North Kakalaki. It was 32 degrees. People were coming in from the outside going, oh, oh it's so cold. Freezing, it's so dude. cold out yep. here. And I was just laughing, saying... This is when we put on our light jackets. Mm -hmm. When it hits 32, this is awesome. But now, when it hits 32 here, I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I got used to it, right? <laughs> and the heart will do the same thing. Yes. In the beginning, maybe there might be some improvement, but after a while, it just goes, well, I don't have to, you know. And the amount of resistance that you remove by removing legs now you're usually removing them because of bad circulation so it could yes. be significant in that area but overall really doesn't make that big of a difference mm -hmm. now to the first part what happens to the vessels well people think that the circulatory system that the arteries go down and then they connect at the toes to the veins and then the veins come back up mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. so if you cut the the leg off well what the hell you've got a blind end mm -hmm. to the arteries and you've got a blind end to the to the veins how you know does the blood just pool in the leg and you know it doesn't sure so you know that your internal model if that's your model of the circulatory system it is incorrect right so the correct model is that the vein the arteries do pump away from the heart but they link up with the venous system in multiple places on the way down in multiple these plexus. Stops, yep. And they, they, it makes these sort of uh, plexus um, uh it's like you a know, subway network. system. It's like yeah. a New York subway yeah. system. Yes, that's of, right. That's right. Of, yeah. And so that when you cut off those ends that were already under pressure, there was vascular remodeling that was being done so that the body could adjust for that. The, the, the circulatory system can remodel itself, mm -hmm. and it does it based on um, stressors, and one of those being distal increased pressure, so the distal meaning closer to the feet. Mm -hmm. And so it already before you cut that leg off, there was remodeling being done. And then those connections just reinforce themselves so that you have connections in the leg between the arterial side and the venous side that really weren't doing that much. But when you cut the leg off above the knee, for example, now those become crucial. Mm -hmm. And the arterial side will become larger and more muscular as you add more pressure to it because now there's way more pressure going in those cross-linked uh, arteries than there were before right because before they were in parallel mm -hmm. you know there was a little bit of blood going sideways Cross, but right. a lot of blood going straight down now the blood is all going sideways and mm -hmm. but but that doesn't take very long at all for the body to because the heart compensates and backs off a little bit yep, yep yep that too yep. okay um, yeah, there's new blood vessels can sprout off from the remaining vessels, mm -hmm. and that's called angiogenesis as mm -hmm. well. Okay, and angiogenesis is just where, uh, due to pressure and stress and decreased circulation, that the body makes new blood vessels. Mm -hmm. So, unlike the central nervous system, where you're pretty much stuck with the 
oh, the, yeah. the the cells that you were born with, although that's not a hundred percent either. Yeah. Um, but more so than than the, the vascular, uh, this vascular system. Yep. yep. Good so, question. Excellent man. question. Great question. All right. Now remember last time we talked about when I did streaking <laughs> at UNC and we yes. were on TV. My niece oh, no. sp- spent a bunch of money to get a press pass so that she could get access the archives of CBS News and she found it. Oh, she found no. the this news story. I can't show it to you on here and she she we also can't like just put it up on YouTube. Sure. Um, but I can play oh, it, and you can see God. my stupid, stupid self in this. And let's see. Um, it's called streaking. Last night, some 200. <laughs> seems to be a new craze on college campuses, making a dash through a public place in the nude. It's called streaking. Last night, some 208 male students at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill claimed that they made a world record streak. And not only that, but it was Mangum Dormitory in Upper uh, North Campus. So. At least 2,000 students and four campus policemen gathered to watch the young men streak by. The crowd, of course, is essential for a successful streak. One streaker <laughs> said, after all, what good is it if nobody sees you? And that's the way it is. Thursday, February 28, 1974. This is Walter Crime. We did that in February? Shrinkage. Oh, my God. Shrinkage. Yeah, well, that gave you some excuse. <laughs> but I th- I told you the story that my group branched off from the other group, and yep. we ended up all of a sudden in a crowd, and there were like 20 of us, and people were going, well, who the hell are those people? And let me tell you something. When all of a sudden you're in a crowd of people you don't know, and you're no longer running with 200 people, it's just you and like 10 people, and now you're dispersed in a crowd, <clears throat> all of a sudden you realize that you're naked. And uh, I remember I um, took my tie that I was wearing. I had a Groucho Marx mask on, and I had lost it somewhere. And uh, I had a tie on, and that was it. And so I took it off my neck and wrapped it, tried to wrap it around my waist so that, uh, you know, my jungle area wasn't quite as exposed. And then this girl that I kind of had the hots for and that was in my speech class runs up and says, Oh, you guys were awesome. And uh, it was humiliating is basically what it was. <laughs> Just humiliating. So anyway, well, listen, thanks always. Go to Dr. Scott. Thanks, Dr. Scott. We can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, that Gould girl, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Chowdy 1008, Eric Nagel, the Port Charlotte whore, the Saratoga skank, Roland Campos, Steve Tucci, sister of Chris, Sam Roberts, she who owns owns pigs and snakes, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, Holly from the Gulf, the great Rob Bartlett, Casey's wet t-shirt, Carl's deviated septum, Vic's fluids, uh, Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's daughter, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, who supported this show, has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel. Sirius XM Channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, on demand and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.